Hey there, it's Gary Parish. It's Thursday, May 24, 2018. Welcome back to the Iron College Basketball Podcast. Got Matt Norlander here with me, and there hasn't been much uh, that's happened in the past week as it relates to the sport of college basketball. But the deadline for underclassmen who have not secured representation to withdraw from the NBA draft is approaching. It's May 30th, and on this Thursday morning, a uh, couple of developments, I guess, that are noteworthy, even though they are hardly surprises. Luke May um, is withdrawing from the NBA draft, going to return to North Carolina. Sagabakate is withdrawing from the NBA draft. He's going to return to uh, West Virginia. I always struggle with how to react to these things because, again, it's just um, a byproduct of the process that's in place. Nobody, like literally nobody, thought Luke May was actually le- leaving North Carolina for good. Or Kanate was actually leaving West Virginia for good. And so I find it difficult to to care when they actually announce that they're withdrawing from the NBA draft because I never thought they were doing anything other than that. But it does confirm that Carolina is going to have a, a possible All-American uh, back in and West Virginia is going to have a, a defensive monster. Uh, back and so if nothing else it's expected but still good news for North Carolina and West Virginia right hey GP this is this is fun news even if it's expected I think Luke May is a virtual lock to be a preseason All-America pick next fall uh, on behalf of the AP and I would think on behalf of us us as well um he, he averaged 16.9 points, 10.1 boards last year, 2.4 assists, had huge jumps in production. You know, his star really came to be when he played so um, impressively against Kentucky in the Elite Eight the year before. And that was when, you know, he really was just a bit player. But he came back after that run for Carolina when they won the national title and then stepped up in a huge way. They get him back. I think that's pretty huge. Him and Cam Johnson could make for a, a mighty fine one-two duo and absolutely Carolina's got to be considered a preseason top 10 team at this point. Kanate I'm even more excited about because the dude is just awesome to watch play defense. He blocks he blocks shots in ways that we really don't see many college basketball players do. Um, he, In fact, part of the reason why he's coming back, Parrish, is his his measurements aren't that great, which makes his ability at the college level even more impressive to me. You know, he doesn't have some outrageously long wingspan uh, relative to what his height is, and his athleticism is good, but it's not absolutely, you know, overwhelming here, and yet in spite of all that, he's the best shot blocker in college basketball. That helps West Virginia out a lot. I think West Virginia's got a great chance chance, excuse me, at still being a top 20 type team next season, particularly with him back. So a couple of doses of of good news here for for college hoops here on Thursday morning. And now you're right. We don't have a ton to talk about. We'll get into a couple of fun things here. But for our next podcast, just so listeners know, it's May 24th today. Um, Prospects have uh, until May 30th uh, on behalf of the NCAA's deadline to make their decision. So the next time we podcast, we'll have all of our answers one way or the other in terms of who's staying and who's going. So you mentioned that Luke May is a probable uh, All-American, and and I agree with you because he's a a statistically um, impressive player for a nationally relevant team. That's that's typically what an All-American is, particularly in the preseason. I've got North Carolina in the top 10 of the preseason, uh, top 25 and 1. Totally off the top of my head here. Have you thought about who else is going to be probable first-team preseason All-Americans? Because the list isn't great. Uh, I haven't, um, okay. So off the top of my, okay. We might might have an all American team of unheralded high school prospects who have turned into relevant college. All right. Well, here's one, here's one that I think will, 
I expect Carson Edwards to return, and he should be a preseason All-America at Purdue. Given what he did last year and the fact that his usage is probably going to go up, I would lean toward putting him on a first team because he was really productive last year. Um, I think that's a reasonable pick. And then, oh, man. Uh, yeah, it's, it is. There's not going to be a ton, is there? Yes. Tell me how crazy this sounds. Although not crazy in the sense that it's probably right, but just crazy in the sense that we'd have never even imagined this a year ago. Uh, first team preseason All American Grant Williams from Tennessee. Yeah, I know, but <laughs> SEC rating SEC Player of the Year on yeah. a preseason top five team. I know it still doesn't feel just right, but that's a, definitely a possibility. Um, man. There's got to be someone obviously, else. Obviously, if Dante DiVincenzo comes back to school, I think he saying. would be yeah. on that list. Omari Spellman would be under consideration, but I don't believe either is coming back to school. So we move on. Yeah. Um, you know who I think is a, a sneaky dark horse? And I, he won't make our list, um, but I think he could play his way into it at the end of the season. I think Cassius Winston at Michigan State's got a shot. Um, was a really good three-point shooter last year. He'll be a junior next season. I think he's got a chance... But you look at the freshmen coming in, they're going to get some heavy consideration. Um, if Caleb Martin came back to school. Yep, certainly would be under consideration, <laughs> I think. Uh, but like DeAndre Hunter, not quite enough, in my opinion. Um, wasn't even a starter last season, even though he's going to be a big-time player for Virginia next season. I wouldn't quite make the leap for him in terms of preseason status. Anyone else, Paris, that jumps out to you? I'm trying to I, think. It's not great. We say that, and then we'll get to March, and then they'll be like, okay, well, these guys apply. But just going in, expectations-wise, there's not there's not from, a ton. From Waters, LSU? Yeah, but, yeah, I mean, possibly. But that's even still, that's a that's a fairly big jump overall. Um, man, good point, though. Yeah. There's not there's not a ton out there. I mean, I'm just I'm just scrolling down teams trying to pick out someone that would apply – Charles Matthews, Michigan. I don't know. And uh, first, like preseason first team. Uh, yeah. If um, I mean Peyton Pritchard. I don't. Nah, I don't think uh, so. Anthony Cowan. I'm just looking at top twenty-five and one teams, and like their yeah. best, their, their most productive players. Dean Wade. He's gonna <laughs> be good. But he's not going to be a first-team All-America. I mean, it's because he is returning, I, I expect Kansas State to be a fairly formidable team, but I don't think so. Um, Mustafa Heron comes back to school? Potentially. But, wow. Uh, did, I, mean, it, I, don't, I don't think he'll be a preseason All-American, but he could be a postseason All-American. Diedrich Lawson? Yeah. Potentially. He's going to be super productive for a, you know, a – preseason top five team yeah well we'll have uh, to uh, we'll have to you know take the set on eventually later in the year but yeah there's there's still a lot of mystery there which is part of the the problem and some of the reward of college basketball is you're going to have guys that uh, pop up and do well i think one player that would be under serious consideration is tyus battle at syracuse but it still remains to be seen whether or not he is going to come back or not he played more minutes last season than anyone in college basketball uh, and in fact syracuse relied on him o'Shea Brissett, and frank howard they all ranked in the top 10 of minutes played uh, you have cues in your new rankings at number 26 uh, battle to me might be the difference 
difference between Syracuse being a clear-cut NCAA team or not, uh, but he would be one that I think would be under consideration as well. So uh, we mentioned Tennessee in the top 25 and one, and it's interesting because I updated the top 25 and one earlier this week. And really, when I say update, all I did was adjust for the likelihood that Dante DiVincenzo is not coming back to Villanova. It's something we talked about on the last podcast. Um, with the way that he tested and measured and played at the Combine, um, it now appears more likely than not that he's going to remain in the NBA draft. I've got him projected now as a first-round draft pick. I think most people do as well. So with Villanova expected to lose, we've known for a while, Jalen Brunson and Mikel Bridges, but also now Omari Spellman and Dante DiVincenzo, it just felt like number three in the country was was too high for a team losing four starters. Now, I still have them in the top 10. I think I've got them seventh in the top 25 and one. But when I had to drop Villanova to seven, basically all I did was move everybody who is was below Villanova, but not in the top seven, up one spot. So it moves Tennessee from four to three. My point being, I've had Tennessee in the top five, I believe, since the night of the national championship game. They moved up to number four when somebody else dropped. I can't recall who it was based on developments. And then they moved up to number three when I dropped Villanova down earlier this week. And it got an incredible amount of attention. I've been on radio in Knoxville. I've been on radio in Nashville. This version of the top 25 and one has been viewed and retweeted at a, a, a way higher rate than the previous version. And it seems to be mostly rooted in, oh my God, Tennessee is three. Now there's obviously a difference between three and four, but for whatever reason, Tennessee being third has gotten a whole bunch of attention. And I, I think I, I saw you retweeted. I think you and I are in agreement here. It feels too high, but when they return basically every meaningful piece from an SEC co-championship team, from a team that finished 13th at Ken Palm, and given what else has happened around the country, who's losing whom and who's enrolling where, um, it's it's about where they ought to be. Like you could debate, oh, that three is too high, but six is probably too low. I mean, they're in that range, and so it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Tennessee because what this feels like, perhaps, is it reminds me of Northwestern. From a year ago, except Tennessee in 2017-18 was better than Northwestern in 2016-17. But here's my point. We looked at Northwestern and we said, man, that was a, a good team. Went to the NCAA tournament, won a game, and they returned everybody. So now they're going to be an even better team. And sometimes when you don't have obvious NBA talent, um, you don't you, you don't make that jump into elite status. You just remain really good or pretty good. Or in Northwestern's case, it's possible that you, 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 you fall back to what people thought you were to begin with, which is what happened uh, last season for uh, a, a, a number of different reasons. Uh, my question is this. Does Tennessee go from really good to elite national championship contender, or do we look up in February and go, you know what? That was a, pretty, that was a really good team in 2017-18 that was better than, the, um, than its individual pieces. And now in 2018-19, also a really good team, but not quite national championship contender. I lean with the latter, Parrish. Now, I don't reject you having them at three right now because you're kind of battling with two different 
realities here. And as you look at all the other teams around them, you've got Duke at two, Kentucky at four, and then if you continue down on the list, you've got Gonzaga five, Virginia six, Nova seven, and Nevada eight. Uh, and then we got Carolina with Luke May returning at nine. Um, you see what they did last year. You see the fact that pretty much almost everyone comes back. It's it's validated, particularly you know, they were ranked thirteenth at Ken Palm last season, went twenty six and nine, had a top six defense in the country, uh were pretty solid from three point range overall. They had five players shoot at least thirty seven percent from three point range, uh, but yet at the same time not a team that was overly reliant on the three point ball. Um it's gonna be a a, a script flip uh, from a year ago when, you know, you and I and so many people with you know Coaches in the league and media and, and everywhere expected Tennessee to be, if I'll be generous, one of the four worst teams in the league. And I actually thought they would be the second worst team in the SEC. It didn't go like that. In fact, they showed early on just how good they were when they were able to beat Purdue back when they played at the Battle for Atlantis. They got that win. They did lose to Villanova, but then they won against North Carolina State. And that really got the ball rolling to a certain extent. And then once they started winning an SEC play, um, they went up in the rankings and continued to rise. I spoke with Rick Barnes in the middle of the season about all of this, and because I did that piece on the seven teams that weren't ranked in the in the preseason polls, and at the time they were all in the top twenty of the rankings, and that was, geez, that was Nevada, it was Texas Tech, it was Tennessee, it was a whole bunch of, it was Ohio State, and I talked to every head coach at every program. Rick Barnes was the only coach of the ones that I talked to that was really adamant about the fact that coaches and media really just don't know anything. They don't know what they're talking about with, they, with these rankings. He understands why they have to be held. He wishes, you know, I, th- I believe he said he wishes that, you know, that we didn't even have rankings to start the season, which I've always thought would be curious, but obviously will never happen. But um, he thinks it's just a guessing game because he said he himself wasn't even quite sure how his team was going to click, how they were going to play, because the removal of one season to the next, you know, you have the seven-month break. You just don't know how certain um, – Certain players will grow. Perhaps in some cases, certain guys will regress. You've got incoming freshmen, how the dynamic will be. A lot of the points he made were sound, and I agreed with plenty of them, GP. But at the same time, when you look historically year over year how teams trend from one way to the next, yes, there are exceptions, but you look at at the top 15 teams in these rankings right now that we have here on May 24th, at least 10 of them come March 1st, 2019, are going to be flirting with anywhere from a five seed to better. It's just going to wind up being that way because we know the personnel that's coming in, we know the coaching, and we know the pedigree of a lot of these programs. So um, it could be that Tennessee doesn't, you know, proves the rule uh, incorrect here and winds up being the 18th best team in the country instead of the third best team. I lean more toward that they're not going to live up to that, that third ranking than, than otherwise. But overall, it's, it's hard to invalidate Tennessee as a preseason, at worst, top six team heading into next season given the guys that they have and I think a lot of this and we have to battle against it as well is the fact that Grant Williams is really really good Admiral Schofield's got a great game but they have no stars and maybe that's because you don't see him on TV enough maybe it's because they don't have a lot of flash in their game maybe because Rick Barnes isn't really one of the 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 big time quotes in college basketball maybe it's because Tennessee really hasn't been flashy good and appealing since Bruce Pearl was there but I think a lot of that goes against Tennessee so that's why I think it's actually a good thing that we have them rank highly because we're not having those unintentional biases held against this team. The Volunteers are going to be good. They've got a great shot at winning the regular season in the SEC once again. It's hard to sell them overall on being a team that will be in the chase for a one, two, or three seed. 
I, I think anytime you're asking a question about somebody ranked preseason number one or two or three, are they going to live up to the expectations? Like the safe answer is just say no, because it's so hard to live up. Like, I don't care how great you are. If you're preseason number one, finishing number one is very, very difficult. Finishing number two is very, very difficult. Same thing with number three. So I would, if forced to bet on it, yeah, I would bet Tennessee doesn't end up being postseason number three. But I would push back a little bit on Rick's, on what Rick said. I think it's very easy for coaches who – have teams that aren't um, well thought of in the preseason based on all of the things that you would base such an opinion on, once those teams are good and proved to be good, to say, see, people didn't know what they were talking about. But the truth is, preseason polls are a pretty good end. And I, I should rephrase, because what I do, this is such a small pet peeve, but it is one, people constantly like tweet me about my poll. It's not a poll. It's a ranking. It's not, I'm not polling anybody. It's me. I mean, I, I guess sometimes I do ask you, and I'll ask um, you know, other people that I trust or respect. Kyle Porter, or, for sure. Or, or work with. <laughs> yes, Kyle, Kyle Porter, for sure. And sometimes even Kyle Boone. Uh, but I, uh, it's, it's, bas- it's basically me. And if you look at it year to year, yes, there is always going to be a couple of teams, or maybe more than a couple, in fairness, that I thought were and other people thought were going to be good, and they're just not. And a few teams that nobody thought was going to be good, and they suddenly are. But I think Ken Pomeroy has done a study on this. Like the preseason rankings are a pretty good indication of of what is to come. And the the truth is, there was literally nothing, nothing in the previous year's um, data, the recruits enrolling, the recruiting rankings of the prospects in the program that suggested Tennessee was supposed to be good. Nothing. They were they were not good the year before, although they were better at Ken Palm, I believe, than than what their actual like win loss records suggested. I'll, I'll get the exacts on that. But so so they I shouldn't say they weren't good. Um, but they weren't an NCAA tournament team. They were 16 and 16. That was their record. They finished 8 and 10 in the SEC, and they were 57th at Ken Palm. So I guess if you're top 60 at Ken Palm, you're okay. But again, they finished 16 and 16, below 500 in the SEC, uh, didn't sniff the NCAA tournament. And when you are that, and you don't have a single top 100 prospect on your roster, and you don't in you know like you're not supposed to be good. So it is it's true that Rick's team was way better than anybody anticipated. But I I think that's such a an an, an outlier to what normally happens with basketball teams. Here's my point: go find another high major conference champion. Like in like I don't care whenever past ten years. How many have won a – let's just – if you want to include the Big East, that's fine. So the Big East plus the Power Five Leagues. Find another conference champion that didn't have a single top 100 recruit on it. High major. Mm-hmm. Can you? I doubt that you can, to be honest. I, 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 it might I, be I, out there, but nothing immediately pops to mind. And obviously Tennessee felt a little different last year with what it was able to do, Parrish. Right. I – that that would be it. I'm I'm actually going to go research that. I bet I bet you'd be fine. Uh, you'd have a hard time finding a Power Five champion or a Big East champion in the past ten years. 
and anybody listening that wants to tackle this homework assignment, feel free. Um, that that was built like Tennessee was built, and so that's that's among the reasons it's a remarkable slash surprising story. You know, high major high major teams just aren't aren't high major high major champions just aren't built the way that Tennessee team was built, or I should say, the way this Tennessee team is built. So it'll be interesting to see um, whether they forget live up the expectations, but like come close to the expectations, like uh, are, are, uh, like operate in the top 10 of the AP poll for much of this season, or if they, you know, fall back a little bit and, and not to total mediocrity. I don't think there's any way barring injuries, um, a team that was that successful, that consistent last season is going to suddenly be bad this season. I just don't envision that at all, but maybe they settle into a borderline top 20 team as opposed to a consistent top 10 team. Uh, We'll see. I also updated the mock draft earlier this week for CBS Sports, and uh, basically for the same reason I updated the top 25 and 1. After what Dante DiVincenzo did um, at the Combine, I thought it was important to to reflect two things. A, he ain't coming back to Villanova, and B, he's going to be a first-round pick. So I have him in the first round right now, Um, I think 20th, going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Here's my question for you. This time last year, nobody expected Donovan Mitchell, who was just named a unanimous uh, first-team all-rookie member. He and Ben Simmons were unanimous, 100 votes out of 100. Jason Tatum got 99 out of 100, uh, at which point Brad Stevens accurately said, it sounds like one person messed up because there's no way you could not have you – could, you could pick five players, five rookies for a first-team and not have Jason Tatum on it alongside Ben Simmons and Donovan Mitchell. But this time last year, nobody thought Donovan Mitchell was going to be what he is, I think, including the Utah Jazz. It's why he went 13th in the draft. Look at the mock draft that you have called up there that I sent you earlier. Somebody I have outside of the top 10, uh, not who will be do what Donovan Mitchell did as a rookie, because I think that's it's it's almost unprecedented. We talked about this, I believe, on the podcast once. But if you try to find a a player who was never a first team or second team AP All American in college, even if he spent time in college, you know, it, who spent time in college, but again, never a first team or second team AP All American, then as a rookie is the leading scorer on a team that advanced in the playoffs. Uh, somebody actually did find another example besides Donovan Mitchell, but they had to go back to, I think it was like 1957. It's been a long time since we've seen something like that. So I'm not expecting something like that. But who's, who's going to be. In your opinion, the guy drafted outside of the top 10 who we look up in a year or two or three and go, my God, how did that guy get out of the top 10? Yeah, let me cheat your question because I think I think Mikal Bridges has a tremendous shot in one year of being a looking like a top two prospect in this class. Someone someone outside a top eight pick, say, Parrish. Okay. I, I, there's just something about the way that he plays, his shooting ability, his length. I can, I can absolutely envision a scenario where we get to next April and we're like, Holy hell, it's Aiton and Bridges. Uh, they clearly look like the best players in this draft, and Bridges went ninth or whatever. But that's within the top ten. Um, I just think that he's got the best chance of coming close to what Mitchell did in year one uh, in terms of a guy that's not like a clear-cut f- top five, six, seven pick. However, the one player I think outside the top ten, and I'll even say outside the lottery, that I think has got the best chance of 
winding up being a high-impact player looking like a top-five prospect in this class one, two, maybe three years from now. I think it's going to be Lonnie Walker out of Miami, and he matches up well with Mitchell in a lot of respects from the same conference. Was just okay in terms of his production wasn't an absolute star. Like, Mitchell wasn't, you know, a a clear-cut top prospect coming out of the league like Mitchell. Um, Similar positions overall over the Mitchell absolutely is more an on-ball combo lead guard than Walker, Uh, but Walker's extremely athletic. Uh, You've got him going 16 right now to Phoenix. Um, I think that's probably right. I think if he really winds up impressing late, I think Lonnie Walker's ceiling in terms of getting picked is probably around 12. I don't see him dropping further, honestly, than, say, 17 to Milwaukee. I think he's a lock to go in that range. I like his ability. I also like... Like, I remember watching him as a prospect going into college and liking a lot of what he was. And I think I'm speaking totally off the top of my head here, but I want to say that Donovan Mitchell might have been rated just a little bit lower than what Lonnie Walker was in high school. So where they were overall in their respective classes, I feel like they were pretty close. I think they've got a great shot. And then real quick, Parrish, I don't know if you saw this or not, but... um, he seems very ready to enter into the NBA in terms of uh, his personal beliefs and how that might drive content on the internet because he does not believe, Lonnie Walker does not believe that the earth is flat, thankfully. But however, he does believe that we could be living uh, in a simulation. He thinks the earth is an illusion. He said this on television last week. He basically believes that we live in the matrix and that's a very deep <laughs> uh, uh, philosoph- philosophical dive there. And actually there are there are like scientists that think that there's there's a heavy percentage that this podcast we are having right now is it's going through a simulation. We are not actually experiencing it as we might think that we are. Um, so Lonnie Walker getting very existential at the uh, at the NBA Combine. I don't know if that has any impact whatsoever on his draft status. I would love to know if any of that kind of stuff came up in team interviews. Um, because I was talking with uh, with a couple scouts recently, and they said I wanted to know. I was like, listen, in terms of the combine, like what is real value? He said, both of them said, it is by far and away, by far and away, not even close is the t- is the team interviews. It means so much more than the five on five. It means more than how much they can jump, how much they bench press. It's all about the team interviews. So as it pertains to Lonnie Walker, I'd be interested to know if they got into uh, any of that matrix theory. But overall, he is my answer to your question, and I think he's got a great shot at, ha- at having some real impact right away. Good athleticism. Agree? Disagree? What are your thoughts? I could certainly see Lonnie Walker being um, a relevant slash good um, player selected outside of the top 10. I think you're spot on with Mikel Bridges. Um, I don't think his ceiling is as high as some other players, but I think his floor is way higher than, than most players. I don't think there's any, I just can't imagine him not being good. I don't know if he'll be great, but I can't imagine him not being good. The way, um, the way he comes off screen to make shots, the way he is an incredible uh, catch and shoot guy, the way he can be a, a a two-way perimeter defender. He's got good size for the position. I just don't see any scenario where Mikel Bridges isn't a good NBA player. He might not be great. He can be great, um, but he's going to be good. Um, as for like at least with Kyrie Irving, when he says the Earth is flat, I, I know I know he's ridiculous and 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 possibly stupid, but um, at least I know what he means. You know, I can sort of grasp the concept. I don't have any idea what Lonnie Walker's talking about. 
<laughs> like, I'm not smart enough to understand what Lonnie Walker means when he said he thinks Earth is an illusion. We, <laughs> he's saying, like, we do not have the time to get into it. But you've seen the Matrix movies, right? Like, that's one possible outcome that we're living in. Like, you, the, you understand the, that, right? The, how about this? Never seen the Matrix. Oh. Never. I think we've talked about this. Never seen Hoosiers. Never seen. I've never seen a bunch of movies that everybody has seen. All right, I'm saving that for the next podcast because uh, I got a few as well, but I just can't recall them off the top of my head. Let me just real quick. Let me just. I'm going to try and sum this up as quickly as possible for you. All right, so uh, you've heard of um, multiple universe and alternate universe theories, right? You've heard that that as well. You're familiar with this. Listen, man. Okay. I, I I just think I think. I, I think like it sort of is what it is. Okay, this stuff is fascinating, Parrish. But fair enough. All right, so we'll, we won't even dive into that right now. But the Matrix is basically this, and this is the first one. And I guess spoiler alert, but the movie's damn near almost twenty years old. Um, you know, Keanu Reeves is in the movie and all that stuff, right? I'm aware of that. Okay, so <laughs> I I don't know if I can sum this up. I'm gonna try and sum this up in sixty seconds. Basically, it's in the future. The machines have taken over the planet. They've taken over Earth, and there are human beings, sentient beings that are that are gooey and living in all of these pods. Like picture, just like massive, just endless fields of machines and and humans being born through ways of the robots and. Through the back of their brains, they're getting injected, you know, God knows what, okay? And through that, people that are living on the planet are living in a simulation. They feel as though what they're living in is actual real life, and they're going through existence as they know it, but they aren't. They are living through a computer simulation. And so that is some of what Lonnie Walker is getting at here. There are many different ways that you can go down this rabbit hole, okay? But in that movie, Keanu Reeves then realizes... This isn't actually real, and so that's why you've seen, like, the famous video or gif of, like, Keanu Reeves dodging the bullets and all of this stuff, right? It's because he realizes that what he's living in isn't actually real, so if he can break through that sheen, so to speak, he's really capable of anything. He can fly. He can fight 30,000 dudes at once, okay? And this is some of what Lonnie Walker's getting at. I know we're getting way deep. It is a truly fascinating concept, kind of a terrifying one. Uh, but yes, this is what Lonnie Walker believes. I don't necessarily outright reject what he's saying because I think the possibility what? of this is I don't. And GP, I there is a there is a possibility that what we are living through isn't what we think we're going through. It could actually be some sort of simulation. I don't. I would not say it's more likely than not. But there there have been scientific studies and theories posited forth that give possibility to this actual reality here. You should give it. You should give it some read, man. It is fascinating, uh, eye-opening stuff. You're a wacko, <laughs> dude. Dude, we live in America. Nobody flies and nobody dodges bullets. People get shot every minute of the day. Nobody dodges bullets. I understand that, Parish. <laughs> like, like I, if 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 it was possible to dodge bullets here in America, we should have tried to figure that out by now. It's yeah. Well, that's also, I, I that's also a movie. Them. That's not what I'm getting at here. What I'm getting at, at one, I believe that what we're living in is actual reality as we know it, and this is this is real. What we're going through, you're cuckoo like Lonnie Walker. No, no, no. but of... I do believe I do believe you have to. And I I want to say, what's his name? Um, uh, the famous the famous brilliant man who just died like a month and a half ago, Stephen Hawking. I right. think Stephen Hawking said it is more likely than not that what we are going through. Uh, 
is some sort of simulation or, or, or something like that one, one way or the other. So I'm just, just letting you know that this is a possibility. It's not what I personally believe in, but I will say it's really, really fascinating, and I love that we actually dipped into it on this podcast. But I do think that what we are experiencing, we are experiencing for the first time, and only we will and can experience this. This is not necessarily some sort of simulation, but there is a belief out there that that is what is actually happening. You are cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> Real quick before okay. we get out of here. I think you and I and Dan Walken are the only people who watch The Americans, but we have one episode left. What's going to happen to Elizabeth and Philip Jennings? <sighs> all right, so you're, you're up to date? Uh, yeah, I watched it this morning. Um, all right, so spoiler for anyone that's DVRing this, I guess to the end of the episode here because we're just about done. Um, right. All right. One, are they going to resolve uh, Stan Beeman's fiance's thing here? Like, she wasn't addressed at all in this episode. Is she actually I under? Just, I, I, I would. Assume, I think they're just going to let that hang. That's stupid if they do that. That's so annoying. By the way, that would be supremely annoying if that's how they end up going with that. But whatever. Um, I think Elizabeth is a goner. Uh, she's got that cyanide pill. It's going to be swallowed by someone. Um, I I thought Philip flushed it down the toilet. I thought she grabbed it when she – did she flush it down the toilet? I feel like Philip flushed it down the toilet. I feel like he told her he flushed it down the toilet, but maybe not. Either way, you right. don't think Elizabeth makes it out of the last episode? I don't. Um, I agree I, with you, by the way, because she's always been willing to die, Yeah. so she will die. I – I – after seeing the penultimate episode, I now believe that Paige will live. I was kind of 50-50 on it going into the episode. Um, I do not believe – there's only one episode to go here. So the one thing that I'm fairly confident in that's not going to happen, they're not going to be arrested. Like, they're not going to jail. None of that's going to happen. Someone's going to die, and then one way or the other um, – like Stan Beeman is going to do something that can redeem his character one way or the other, small or big. I think that's going to happen. Um, but it's 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 going to be interesting to see how much they can pack into this finale here. I started the series absolutely loving it in the first three seasons. Now I merely like it. I would recommend it to people to watch, but you also need patience to watch it. it. It definitely it has its real dragging points. And even the second to last episode, I thought was. Uh, uh, you know, a little weak here and there, and then suddenly, you know, Beeman, f he suspects them, and now it's it's just all steam ahead. I don't know. It, it kind of seems like it's been crammed into the final few episodes here. Elizabeth dies. Philip lives a different life somewhere else outside of the Soviet Union, you know, in America, in Mexico, somewhere. He just starts a new life. Henry goes on to be an NHL player. And Paige, I, I don't know how you resolve because once it's known that their parents were Russian spies, Soviet spies, like what what happens with Philip and and I mean what happens with uh, Henry and and Paige? I mean Paige was obviously involved in the stuff as well. Henry has, is completely clueless, but like he's got a, you know, the United States government is just going to let a, a a Soviet spy's kid just just hang out in prep school, are they? Um. I don't know how they resolve that honestly. I don't they're not going to they're not going to deport him to Russia, so he's going to be able to live in the United States. I don't know, quite know what they're going to do with that, but we'll see. This has turned out to be a a good but not 
utterly great series. Uh, still would recommend, and I would be surprised if all of the main characters make it out alive. I just don't see the way that happens. Shouts to Devin Downey. Shouts to Chester, South Carolina. Shouts to Terry M.F. and Teagle, the legend. Shouts to Philip Jennings. Shouts to Elizabeth Jennings. Please go subscribe to the Ion College Basketball Podcast via Apple Podcast. Rate it favorably. Five stars with nice comments. That's all we've ever asked from you. And uh, either way, we'll talk to you again next week. Till then, take care.